We love you and we praise you. Well, it's wonderful to see everybody here at the beginning of this new year. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad that uh, you've chosen to uh, begin your new year uh, worshiping with us here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, We're a special Christmas series. Uh, We have three more messages in the book of Philippians uh, to finish that, that book. And, uh, you know, the first Sunday of the year, I often bring a special message that challenges us in, in some key area of our lives. But as I was reading over the end of the book of Philippians, I thought, you know, I can't think of, uh, of three more fitting topics uh, to set our course for the new year uh, than these final three messages in Philippians. Uh, this is a, a great way to start our year together, uh, this final section of the book of Philippians. So if you'll turn there with me to Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 8 and 9, we're just going to continue our study and go ahead and finish um, out this study for the Christmas series. You'll know that Philippians 4, 1 through 9 is about spiritual stability. It's about beloved brethren whom I long to see, my joy and my crown... And he goes on in verses 2 through 9 to tell us how it is that we stand firm in the Lord, how we can be uh, spiritually stable, because none of us knows what this year holds for us. And we looked at uh, five of these steps to spiritual stability in the, in the, the weeks before Christmas. We saw that the first step was harmony, getting along with others, joy, gentleness, um, a sense of expectancy, looking for the Lord's coming, the Lord is near. And then we finished in verses 6 and 7 with thankful prayer. We saw that if we have harmonious relationships, a joyful life, a gentle spirit, we're constantly looking for the coming of the Lord, and we engage regularly in thankful, grateful prayer to God that this will help us be spiritually stable. Now, there's two more steps to spiritual stability in the passage. In verse 8, is godly thinking, and verse 9 is godly living, or godly thinking and obedience. And when you boil life down, life consists of two things, what you think and what you do. That's really what life is all about, and what we think controls what we do, right or do right. Now, Philippians this morning, it's uh, the third part of our, our, this morning, think about what you think about, or another title I really like is it's all in your head. I like that. That's a good one as well. Let me read these two verses for us, great verses for us all to memorize. Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, if there's anything of good repute, if there's anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So reads God's inspired and errant word. You can see in these two verses, again, that they really picture for us the, 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 the scope of life. Verse 8 is what we think about. Verse 9 is what we do. And the thinking comes first, followed by uh, the doing or the living. So let's talk here this morning together, first of all, about our pondering, our contemplation, about what we think about. Many of us at the beginning of the new year thinking about getting our bodies into shape, into better shape. The most common New Year's resolution, you all know this, is usually a a new diet or some kind of new workout program. Uh, Gyms and workout facilities are are crammed uh, this time of year. Everybody wants a fit body, and it's great, and I think it's important to have your body in shape, but what about your mind? We must guard against having fit bodies and fat minds. I think far too many of us think more about our bodies and the physical than we do about the spiritual or what we think about. 
you know, the, the human brain is, is amazing. You know, we have a brain and we can think about our brain, but we still don't understand it. Someone says it like this. In fact, it's Kent Hughes, <clears throat> his commentary on Philippians. He says that the complex capacity of the human brain is the subject of ever-widening scientific wonder. Its 12 to 14 billion cells are only a shadow of its complexity, for each cell sends out thousands of connecting tendrils so that a single cell may be connected with 10,000 neighboring cells, each of which is constantly exchanging data impulses. These 12 to 14 billion brain cells times 10,000 connectors make the human mind an unparalleled computer. The mind's activity has been compared to 1,000 switchboards, each big enough to serve New York City, all running at full speed as they receive and send questions and orders. Put another way, there's more electronic equivalent in one human brain than in all the radio and television stations of the entire world put together. I mean, the, the brain is, is amazing. It's an amazing computer, and uh, sometimes it can be limited in some people more than others, though. It's like the woman who went to the doctor and said, Doctor, here lately my husband seems to be wandering in his mind. And the doctor said, Well, don't worry about it. He can't go far. <laughs> well, some of us may not be able to go as far as others, but we can all go somewhere, right? We all think every day. And there's nothing more important than how we use our brain. Nothing about your life or my life is more important than what we think about. Our, shape, our, our thoughts shape who we are, and they shape in turn everything that we do. We become intellectually and spiritually what we think about. Here's another statement about the brain. This person says this, the brain is key to human existence. It weighs only three pounds, but determines what the rest of our much heavier body does. It consumes 25% of our blood's oxygen supply, handles 10,000 thoughts a day. Think about that, 10,000 thoughts a day. Regulates over 103,000 heartbeats every 24 hours, controls over 600 muscles, coordinates over 23,000 breaths a day. Not only does the brain control our physical life, but our emotions, our will, our thinking, and our spiritual life. What we do with our mind what we determ determines what we will do with our life. You and I need a, a guarded, guided thought life. Every one of us do. I've used this old story before, but there's a very remote place up in Canada, and before you get on a certain road, there's a sign there that says, choose your rut carefully, you'll be in it the next 25 miles. <clears throat> and that's true for you and for me in our minds. We, we need to choose the ruts and the grooves of our mind very carefully because uh, they guide our lives. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. And most often in Proverbs, the idea of the heart speaks of the mind. Guard your heart or your mind above everything else, for it determines the course of your life. What we think determines who we are and what we do. Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as he thinks within himself, so a man is. Whatever we think about, that's ultimately what we are. There's an old uh, quote, I love this, it says this, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. It's pretty good, isn't it? You're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. There's all kinds of statements about this. I love one by Marcus Aurelius. He says, a man's thoughts die his soul. Your thoughts die your soul. They, they, they put the imprint upon it. Matthew Henry, the great commentator said, the man is as the mind is. 
So think about it like this. Life consists of what a man is thinking about all day. You are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. So we all know that's true. What we think, we are. So godly thinking is a prerequisite to godly living. So it's imperative that you and I invite the Spirit of God uh, to take over our minds. Now, disciplining the mind, while essential, is not easy. We're constantly being bombarded in this culture, especially with all the technology, with all kinds of conflicting messages, and and all the technology that's out there makes it very difficult to harness uh, the thoughts in our minds. As John Milton said, a mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. We all know that all too well. The mind is the control center of life. It's the the headquarters for the human life. And that's why I believe Satan attacks it. Uh, Satan wants to come to your life and to my life and breach the walls of our mind because our mind is the bullseye, I believe, in his target. Because if he can get to our mind, he can control who we are and what we do. So the spiritual life in your life and in my life, ultimately when you boil it down, is a battle for the mind. Every day it's a battle for our minds. That's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we guard and govern our thinking? Well, Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 is a key passage. If you've been with us in our study of Philippians, you'll know that the writer here, the apostle Paul, has mentioned the mind many times. Back in chapter 1 and verse 27, he says you're to be of one mind. In chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, be of the same mind. In chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind or attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus. Down in chapter 3 and verse 15, he mentions the mind there twice. Chapter 3, verse 19, they only mind or think about earthly things. Chapter 4, verse 2, he tells you, Odie and Syntyche, these two women, to be of the same mind. So over and over again, he's talked here about the mind. And so for the final time here, he wants to focus in on uh, our thinking. Now, he starts out with the words, finally, brethren, because I think he's saying this is the final part of how to be spiritually stable. He started that back in verse 1. He's saying, finally, brethren, these are the final keys to how you are spiritually stable in your life. And and notice the end of verse 7, where we left off last time several weeks ago, notice how verse 7 ends. It says, The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he's, he leaves off talking about the heart and the mind, and then he picks up in verse 8, whatever things are honorable and true and so on, set your mind uh, on these things. So I, I like the way one person I read this week put it. They said, look, if you want to be spiritually stable and you want to have peace in your life, there's two key things you've got to do. Verses 6 and 7 tell us to release our cares, and verse 8 tells us to capture our thoughts. That's pretty good, isn't it? So if you want to be spiritually stable, if you want to have peace in your life, you've got to release your cares to God, but you have to uh, capture your thoughts. Now let me just give a few mental images to help us capture our thoughts now go over to 1 Peter 1.13 for a moment. This is a great verse. I, I hope this will help you in, think, in thinking about your own thinking. <clears throat> but 1 Peter 1.13, Peter gives an image there. He says, gird your minds for action. Gird your minds for action. 
Now, I like that because back in that day, they would wear long flowing robes or garments. And whenever you wanted to, to get into action, you would have to gird your loins. That is, you'd pull the bottom of that robe up and you'd tuck it down into your belt so you could move about freely. And what Peter is saying here in this passage is he's saying, look, our mind is like a robe that can just kind of wander around down there and drag in the dirt and kind of move freely and kind of loosely. So he's saying one of the things you need to do every day is gird your mind. Take your mind and bring it under control and don't just let it flow around loosely and wander wherever it wants to go. And to be honest, I use this passage many, many times. I'll be driving around along or thinking, and all of a sudden I'll tell myself, you need to gird your mind for action. Your thoughts are just kind of flowing around there loosely. You're, you're not controlling what you're thinking about. So that's a good mental image for us when, we, when our mind starts going places it shouldn't go, to gird our mind for action. Pull that robe in. Don't let it drag around in, in the dirt and the filth of this world. Another image I ran across I really like is from Max Lucado's book, his newest book, Anxious for Nothing. He says this, you didn't select your birthplace or your birth date. You didn't choose your parents or siblings. You don't determine the weather or the amount of salt in the ocean. There are many things in life over which you have no choice, but the greatest activity is life, of life is well within your dominion. You can choose what you think about. You can be the air traffic controller of your mental airport. That's a good picture, isn't it? You occupy the control tower and can direct the mental traffic of your world. Thoughts circle above, coming and going. If one of them lands, it's because you gave it permission. If it leaves, it's because you directed it to do so. You can select your thought pattern. And then he says, Satan knows this. The devil is always messing with our minds. He fills the sky with airplanes that carry nothing but fear and anxiety. And he's doing his best to convince us to let them land and unload their stinking cargo into our minds. So that's a graphic picture, isn't it? You and I are the, the air traffic controllers of, of our minds. And we can let things in and, and keep things out. But there, there's one final picture here. And then I want to look at these words uh, here that are used in verse 8. One final picture. And I really like this one. All of us here have electronic devices, I'm sure. There may be a few of you that don't. You've escaped the curse of that so far. But probably all of us here have some kind of electronic device, a computer, an iPad, a smartphone, or something like that. And uh, before someone can get into that, they have to know the password. And by the way, I was looking, the, the most uh, well-known passwords of this last year were, the, number one was one, two, three, four, five, six, and the other one was password. So they're saying, whatever you do, don't use those. I mean, people can hack in easy and get in there. But you have to have the password to gain entry. Uh, this was brought home to me this week. I was trying to get on the Dallas Seminary faculty webpage to do some things I needed to do there, and they changed my password. <laughs> so I can't get in. i got to call somebody Monday, and I'm the worst person in technology in the world. So somebody's going to have to help me, but I can't get in. can't get entry because I don't have uh, the password. And what the Lord is telling us here in verse 8, He's laying out for us, some passwords, if you will, that we have to use. And if it doesn't fit with these passwords, then you don't let it in. It doesn't gain entry. It's unauthorized uh, to come into to our minds. And notice he says down in verse 8, let your mind dwell on these things. The word means to give weight to, to carefully consider. It's in the present tense. So constantly have your mind giving weight to, carefully considering, meditating upon, reflecting on these things. 
So we need to let these virtues that are listed, or eight of them, serve as the spiritual passwords, if you will, to allow something to come in and land into your mind. If it doesn't meet this criteria, if it doesn't meet these passwords, then it's not allowed entry. If it meets these passwords, then we allow it in. These eight virtues must guide and govern our thinking. They're the gateway to our minds. Now, these eight terms, these eight words used here in verse 8, true, honorable, right, and so on, these were terms that were used, that were current in the moral philosophy of the Greco-Roman world of that day. So Paul selected moral language from the surrounding culture that the Philippians could understand, but he infuses it uh, with with spiritual reality and spiritual meaning from, from the Scriptures. So the first one of these passwords that we want things to filter through to see if they gain entrance to our mind is, is simply, is it true? Is it true? 2017 was the year of fake news, I guess, right? I mean, we heard a lot about fake news. We still do. It's hard to know what to believe sometimes out there in our culture and politics. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's untrue. There's a lot of stuff that's even fabricated. But the Bible tells us we're to think about things that are true and things that are real. So as a Christian, as a believer, our mind has to cut through the illusions of this world and and the make-believe which has trapped many, many people in this world. I mean, we must dwell on the things that are real and that are true. We can only let into our heart and our mind what is true. You say, well, how do we know what's true? Well, certainly if it's about God or salvation or sin or mankind or morality, we find that in the Bible. But there's other things out there, political things and and things like that. They're not in the Scriptures specifically. But then we have to call upon God to give us the wisdom and the understanding to know what's true and what's false in those matters. The problem today is, and this has been going on my entire lifetime, it's been escalating, is that truth now is relative. A truth is relative. What we mean by relativism is no one can really be sure of anything. In other words, each person kind of defines truth for themselves. You ask somebody what's true, and they say, well, that may be true for you, but um, it's not true for me. In other words, there's not anything that's ultimately transcendently true for everybody. There's many truths out there. And that's the way our culture is today. It's kind of like I heard about... uh, Willie Nelson, back before he met up with the IRS, he owned a golf course. He was riding around one day with a reporter, and uh, the reporter was asking him uh, about par. And he said, well, par on this course is anything I want it to be. He said, in fact, that hole right over there, par on that hole is 47. And he smiled, and he said, and yesterday I birdied it. (laughs) Par is what we want it to be. In other words, truth is what we decide Uh, that it is. Here's a good statement someone made. They said, today we've lost the confidence that statements of fact can ever be anything more than just opinions. We no longer know that anything is certain beyond our subjective preferences. The word truth now means true for me and nothing more. We've entered an era of dogmatic skepticism. Isn't that a good way to put it? Dogmatic skepticism. As Kelly Monroe remarked in her book, Finding God at Harvard, Students feel safer, safer as doubters than as believers and as perpetual seekers than eventual finders. What people are being told in academia today is we need to search for the truth. But if you ever claim you find the truth, then you're narrow-minded and bigoted. 
thrown this endless search for the truth, but nobody thinks we can ever find the truth. That's the relativism uh, that we have in our culture. Look, the Bible says when it comes to God and salvation and sin and morality and mankind, the truth about those things is found in the Bible. And we only need to allow things into our mind that are true according to God's Word in those areas. But it applies to a lot of other areas. For instance, when you have trouble in life, Maybe some trouble has come your way. Maybe you've, you've lost a loved one that you care deeply about, and the troubles of life assault us. One of the things that can begin to come into our mind is God has forsaken me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. When those kinds of thoughts come into our mind, we need to tell ourselves that statement is not true. The Bible says God will never leave me and forsake me, that God loves me. We don't allow those untrue statements to come in and to begin to bombard our thinking. When it comes to morality, someone says, well, I, uh, you know, I'm going to divorce my spouse and, and go marry this other person because God wants me to be happy in my life. They say, no, that's not true. It's not true. Don't allow that thought to come and, and take root down in your, your heart and your mind. All that's untrue in your mind and my mind must be kept out. Things that are doctrinally and theologically untrue, but things that are morally untrue as well. So the, the first password that should guard the gateway to your mind and to my mind is we have to ask about something, is it true? If it's true, we allow it to come in. If it's untrue, uh, we keep it out. The second thing is honorable. This word means noble or valuable or elevated or dignified. In other words, we're to, we're to dwell and to daydream on elevated, uplifting things. Not things that are undignified or, or unseemly. The third password is, is the word right. It means morally upright. Things that are consistent with God's standards. If it's not morally upright, if it's not consistent with the standards of God, then we don't want to allow it to penetrate uh, into our minds. The fourth one of these passwords here is uh, the word pure. This is the same as the word uh, holy that's used in Scripture. It's a, a similar word to the word for holy or set apart. It means unsullied or something that, that's fit to be brought into God's presence. Look, you don't even have to, to make these comments anymore. I mean, it, it's such a, a tragic uh, uh, scene out there in our culture. But in, in this X-rated society that we live in, in the age of porn that we live in, it, it's literally swamping our society. And every one of us here need to ask ourselves, what do I watch and what do I look at? We need to watch what we watch because as we allow these things into our mind, it's inevitable that they will change who we are and they will change what we do and control us. For those of you here that are younger today, listen to this right here. I mean, it's for all of us, but especially those of you that are younger. Here's what Wayne Wilson says. This is powerful. If we picture moral innocence as a finely woven fabric, then we should understand that every naughty joke in, in a movie is a snag in that material. Every nude scene is a pulled thread. Every fornicating couple a tear. And every sexual act witnessed a slash. Soon, and it doesn't take long, that fine material is as shredded as a battle flag carried through Pickett's charge. Moral innocence is in shambles. And if there's one thing in our culture that we need to 
emphasize, especially again to, to, to people who are younger in our culture, is to set the password of purity before their minds. Because innocence can be in shambles at a, a very early age. And, uh, you know, my, my sons were, were brought up kind of in between the age of all this technology that's out there and phones and all that. But I, I look at my grandchildren. Many of you do the same thing with your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. I mean, it's not even a fair fight out there in our culture today with all that's out there. We, we've got to emphasize to them and to give them the example in our lives of hearts and minds and lives uh, that are pure. The next thing is lovely. It means attractive and pleasing and elegant. To think about things that are pleasing and elegant and attractive. The next word is of good repute. It means something you can speak well of, something that's well regarded or something that's admirable. One person I read this week said it like this, if you can't admire it, don't desire it. That's pretty good, isn't it? If you can't admire it, don't desire it. If it's not of good repute, And then he says, if there's anything of excellence, this refers to moral excellence, that which is best, lofty thinking. I think, to me, this is is spiritual thoughts, thinking lofty thoughts, thoughts about God and uh, thoughts about heaven and uh, thoughts about spiritual things. John Owen was a great 17th century Puritan. I ran across this quote. This This is beautifully stated. He says, we can test ourselves by asking whether our spiritual thoughts are like guests visiting a hotel or like children living at home. There's a temporary stir and bustle when guests arrive, yet within a little while they leave and are forgotten. The hotel is then prepared for other guests. So it is with religious thoughts that are only occasional. But children belong to their house. They are missed if they don't come home. Preparation is continually being made for their food and their comfort. Spiritual thoughts that arise from true spiritual mindedness are like the children of the house, always expected and certainly inquired for if missing. Isn't that well stated? Spiritual thoughts in your mind and my mind shouldn't be like guests in a hotel that come and go. They ought to be like children of the home, that they're expected to be there and they're, they're inquired for if they're missing. We need to think about things that are, that are lofty. We need to, to be spiritually minded. And then finally, he says here, if there's anything that is worthy of praise, and this literally just means things deemed worthy to be praised. In other words, things that are, that are not objectionable. Now, as you go through and you look through that list, these are the passwords to your mind and to my mind. And nothing should be allowed into our mind that doesn't match these passwords. Uh, Don't let somebody uh, hack the computer of your mind, if you will, and bring in things that are unauthorized. These are the passwords. Filter it through these things. And this would be a good passage to read often and to think through often. You say, well, how do I do this practically in my life starting today? Well, one is, and this is very simple, easier said than done, but very simple. Don't put garbage in your mind. Why? Watch what you watch. I mean, that's a, uh, the most simple thing. We all have a choice of what we watch and what we look at. It's like the mother that was preparing a green salad for dinner, and she'd thrown all the unusable portions down into the sink, into this dirty, filthy sink, and uh, was getting ready to put them down into the garbage disposal. Her teenage daughter came in and told the mother that several of her friends were going to see a certain movie that night that the mother knew was was very, very objectionable, very uh, explicit movie. 
As the daughter was pleading her case, the mother began to take the discarded vegetables down in the sink and began to put them into the salad. The daughter hollered to her mom and said, what in the world are you doing? You're putting garbage in the salad. It's disgusting. And the mother said, if you don't mind putting garbage in your mind, why would you mind eating garbage in your salad? It's a pretty good object lesson for a young person, right? Don't put the garbage in. We have to watch what we watch and what we think about. But, but another thing I would say, and I know I mention this often, but it's a good a reminder again at the beginning of the year, read the Bible. Read the Bible. That's where we find out what's true and what's honorable and what's pure and what's right and what's lovely. Um, I have a, uh, every year what I do is I start on January 1st and I read a psalm every night before I go to bed. Then I pick up some other things after that. But that's what I do the first 150 days of the year. And so Psalm 7 tonight before I go to bed. And I think about it, I take one thought or something from that passage and I let it uh, go through my mind and I wake up the next morning and continue and begin to think about that. We, we're conformed to the image of God by renewing our mind. We live in a crooked, perverse world, and the only way our mind can be renewed is by thinking spiritual thoughts and reading the Bible. And another thing is memorize the Bible. Memorize scriptures. Memorize this passage. You can do it. It's uh, uh, not, not a long passage. Memorize Philippians 4, 8, and 9, and quote it to yourself periodically through this coming year. It's the only hope we have for the, these passwords to become firmly uh, fixed in our hearts and minds. Well, I just want to spend a couple of minutes on verse 9. Some of you are probably panicking, saying, man, he's got a whole other point here to cover. Uh, we're gonna, we've spent most of our time on verse 8. I should have told you that ahead of time. Uh, but verse 9 is, is now our practice, and the practice comes out of our pondering. Right thinking leads to right living. And he says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So verse 8 is our thinking, our pondering. Verse 9 is our, our practicing. And he says, look, the things that you've learned from me. When Paul was at Philippi in person, he taught them a lot of things. And he says, the things you've received from me, those would be the things he's written to them in letters, such as in Philippians. And he says, the things you've heard, these would be things they heard from other people that were consistent with what Paul had taught. And then he says, the things that you've seen in me, in other words, when Paul was with them, they had seen Paul's life in action. And he says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Live it out. And this is another statement where Paul is saying, look, I'm a model for you. Follow me as I follow Christ. And again, the word practice is in the present tense. Continually practice these things. And when you do that, he says, the God of peace will be with you. Now remember back up in verse 7, we had the peace of God. And it's been well said, the only thing better than the peace of God is to have the God of peace uh, with us. The peace of God protects us, but the God of peace is present with us. So if we think rightly, and that right thinking is translated into right living, then we will enjoy in our life uh, the God of peace. Back in uh, a magazine interview some years ago, Harrison Ford was talking with this, uh, this uh, interviewer, and they were talking about all the, the successes that he enjoyed in his life. And he made the comment, he said, you only want what you don't have. And the, re the, the interviewer says, well, what in the world don't you have? And Harrison's response was one word, peace. So many people in our world, they don't have peace. And they don't have peace, first of all, because they don't know the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus. 
but they don't think right and they don't live right. And when we don't think right and live right, we cannot enjoy the peace that God can give. Uh, in a television interview uh, with Barbara Walters, uh, Richard Dreyfus years ago was asked by, by Barbara Walters, if you could have only one wish, what would you wish for? And here's what he said. Every time I have a birthday, every time I blow out the candles, every time I see a shooting star, I wish for the same thing, inner security. Again, it's the same idea, isn't it? This idea of peace. And peace is the product of a disciplined mind that issues forth into a life that pleases God. The pathway to peace and experiencing the God of peace is godly thinking that produces godly living. In your life and in my life, when, when, when our thought life is out of control, when our life is a life that's not being lived in obedience to God, if we're a child of God, we can't ever have any peace as long as we're living contrary to what He desires for us. Notice the very last words of verse 7. I like this. I pointed out it says, He'll guard your heart and your mind. And he goes on now in verse 8 to talk about our mind. But notice the last words, Your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true and honorable and so on. Many have pointed out that really these, these eight virtues that we have here that serve as the, the passwords of our mind are in, in many ways a beautiful description of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about Jesus, we're thinking about that which is ultimately true and honorable and, and pure and right and lovely, that which is of good repute and excellent and worthy of praise. John Phillips says this, we must think of Christ. That is the ultimate secret to a positive thought life. All unworthy thoughts perish in His presence. Think often about the Lord Jesus and who He is, what He's done for you in your life. Let me ask you a question as we get ready to close here this morning. Do you know Him? Do you know the Lord Jesus? Have you trusted in Him as your Savior? Do you know the Prince of Peace? There's no better way to begin this year, to begin any year, than if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior this morning to take Him, to confess that you're a sinner, and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. You can do it here in a moment as we pray. Well, I hope here this morning I've give you, given you something to think about. <laughs> that the pun's intended there, by the way. Maybe you, maybe you need to change the passwords of your mind for this coming year. You've had these passwords said and uh, the computer of your mind's been getting hacked a lot this last year. But you need to come, you need to change the passwords for your thinking, for what you let into your mind. And so I want to encourage all of us this morning, don't just be a hearer of the Word of God this morning, be a doer of it. As you leave here this morning, make up your mind that you're going to set the passwords of your mind to what this verse says here this morning. And don't allow things into your mind the rest of today and this week and in the coming months and in the coming of years that don't fit into this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, if there's anything of good repute, anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you've learned and heard and, and, and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Well, our Father, we thank you for the minds that you've given to us, minds that allow us to know you and, and to know your greatness. And we acknowledge that your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the only one who is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. 
and of good repute and, and excellence and worthy of praise and perfectly obedient. And Father, our, our prayer this day is that His person and His life will so fill our minds that His mind and His life will be reproduced in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for every one of us here. I pray especially for young people here today who, who are bombarded with so many conflicting messages that you'd set these passwords constantly before our minds to guard and to govern our thinking so we can live obedient lives, Father, and please you, so we can enjoy the wonderful presence of the God of peace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we, we go to the Lord's Supper this morning, um, Jay's going to lead us. Just one, one announcement. Um, we haven't been able to have announcements these last few weeks since we've been off in our, our ABFs. Um, there's, there's a 2-7 orientation meeting today at 5 o'clock in E1. If you want a ministry that will really help you in Bible study and in Scripture memory, the things we've talked about this morning, getting the Word of God in your life, uh, I, I can't recommend that more highly. They're having an orientation meeting 5 o'clock in E1 uh, today, so come, come and be a part of that. Jay? You guys thought we were getting out a little bit early. Uh, you were wrong. It is the first uh, Sunday of the month. It's the first Sunday of 2018. And so we gather here to take the Lord's Supper uh, together. Go ahead and invite uh, those serving to begin doing that. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, uh, I hope you know that Faith Bible, we practice open communion. And what that means is we want all who have trusted in Jesus Christ to come to the communion table this morning. Uh, you don't have to be a member of Faith Bible Church to share in this meal today. Uh, you do, however, need to be a Christian to partake of this meal. Faith is an integral part of this supper. And if you have put your faith in Christ, we want to welcome you to the table this morning. And if you've never taken communion with us, uh, simply take these elements as they pass by, and, and we'll take them one at a time in just a moment as I lead us through the corresponding scriptures. So the Lord's Supper is meant to nourish and strengthen our faith. And it's ironic that, that portions so small could provide nourishment. Uh, but it's the quality of what is in the supper that matters. And, and what the supper is meant for, it implies that our faith is in continual need of strengthening. Our faith has weaknesses, lots of them. So we gather and we listen to good preaching and we encourage each other through prayer. And we sing songs that beautify biblical theology. And we come to the table. And we do these things not because of our fitness, but we do this, these things because of our weakness. And I don't know if you've ever come to church feeling worthless and rotten. I don't know if you've ever sat through an entire sermon thinking about how unreasonable you were to your spouse that morning. Or how prayerlessness has just kind of pervaded your life over the last month. Or how full of fear maybe you've become. I mean, have you ever gotten to the end of a church service only to think, man, I'm so distracted. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about a dozen petty things. I can't even sit in church correctly. Have you ever wondered if God could really love you? If so, you need this gospel table. The Lord knows that our faith is weak. And that's why he's given us sacraments for us to, to see, to, to taste, to touch, so as, as surely as you can hold the bread and juice in your hands, that is how surely God loves you through Christ. 
As surely as, as you chew the bread and drink the cup, so surely has Jesus Christ died in your place. This simple bread and this simple cup are to give assurance that Christ came for you, that Christ died for you, that Christ will return for you. And of course, this eating and drinking, it must be undertaken in faith. These elements themselves, they do not save us, but when we eat and drink them in faith, we can be reminded and assured that in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. That through him and in him, the promise of eternal life is sure. And more than that, we get this tangible picture of our union with Christ. That as we, that as we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we, we, we literally have communion with him. Christ is in us, and he is the hope of glory. So let's, let's just go to the Lord in silence and in meditation this morning as we lead into taking the supper together. Just think on these things. Think on what it means to be in Christ Jesus, as Mark pointed out in his sermon. Scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when given thanks, he broke it. Let's pray for this bread. Father, we're coming out of a season in which we've celebrated the incarnation, the, the fact, the glorious truth that your son took on flesh. And as we take this bread together, we, we thank you for that glorious, miraculous reality that he came and lived a perfect life a life of full and complete righteousness. And it's this righteousness we, we lay hold of by faith. After he gave thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray for the cup. Father, together. Con confessing a need for not just a righteousness outside of us, but an atonement that takes care of the sins that we've committed, the sins in the past, the sins in the present, and the sins in the future. It's the, the, the blood of our Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ, that cleanses us from all of our sins. It is to us. Do, for as often as you eat this bread, preached through this morning, God, I thank you that, that here we find nourishment for our weak faith. Lord, and as we enter into this new year, we're looking for strength. We're looking for more flourishing, more vitality. Lord, I pray that we find it as we come to your table, as we come to your gospel, as we think upon the truth and let it guide our thoughts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, as it is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.
give life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope and you restore every heart that is broken It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. You give life, Sierra. You give life. 